Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the third edition of the third episode of the Sigma podcast, where today uh, myself, Trevor De Giorgio, will be meeting and discussing um, the sector, the gaming sector, together with Ian Ince, the Chief of Staff and Chief Compliance Officer for Playtech. Good afternoon and welcome, Ian. Good afternoon, Trevor. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm living the dream. Thank you. You're always living the dream. I'm always living the dream. You're just right. as a bit of bit of a background for everyone. Uh, me and Ian have known each other now for a good what 12, 13 years. Yeah, of that Many order. Years. It's definitely do- well into double figures. Um, well into double figures. We should both um, be retiring. Let's put it that way. No, well, it's been a good ride on that. It's been a good ride on that. And it's been a it's been a long ride for yourself as well, Ian. Uh, I mean, I remember your days at Sporting Bet. Uh, you did some days as a consultant, and now, well, you have grown into this role at at, at Playtech, and uh, it's a very heavy role that you have on board. Could you just how did you get into the industry first of all? Um, wow, this going back years. So yeah, thanks, Trevor. Um, we're talking. 2008, I think it was roughly speaking, I was working for Deloitte Consulting. I was in program leadership doing business change style work. Um, And I I remember it clearly because I was approached by a headhunter. You you know, people regularly get these calls, random calls from people recruiting. And I was in a hotel in Taunton doing a quite tedious job for Deloitte. Um, So I took the call and explored it. And it was for a company called Sporting Bet, who in those days I knew knew nothing about gambling. I wish I had, by the way, if I'd joined online gambling pre-UEGA in 2000, that would be fantastic. But um, foolishly, I went and did a master's and joined Deloitte instead. Uh, Never mind. Uh, Got there eventually, I think. So I I basically was recruited uh, by a headhunter to go and do business change in Sporting Bet, nothing to do with compliance. It was all around business process operations, how sporting bet were operating between the business and the IT functions. Um, so that that that's how I started on the uh, sort of gambling world or online gambling world, 2008. And that developed, I mean, I did that for a year, give or take. And I, I mean, I, I enjoyed my time at sporting bet hugely. I worked closely with a guy called Jim Wilkinson, who many of these people who listen to this podcast probably know and love, absolute gentleman. Um, I ended up working for him, although he was CFO, and regulations hit. Again, I think it was, what, 2000? It was 2010 France hit, something like that? I think off the top uh, of my head. France, France, they started shutting down. No, before that. Was it 09? France, France was before, because I remember my, I was at the MGA at the time, at, at, mm-hmm. at the time it was the LGA, and I was on EU Affairs, and I had to draft... I was responsible for drafting part of the reasoned opinion, which Malta submitted to counter the French, the French legislation at the at the time that worked, playing, didn't it? <laughs> we were playing we were playing this game. Now now yeah. you see what what Malta did last week with, with Bill. Yeah, so, yeah. If, yeah, if so that, point, I mean, yeah. Gonna, so if I can interrupt you, we just mentioned you, you always do, Trevor. I do. I know it's it's it's, it's a habit. I just mentioned Bill 55. I think you're familiar with that, what Malta has done last week, the change in law in order to protect its licensees. Did you have a look at I, that? I'm not, I'm not in the weeds these days. I mean, I must confess these days, um, I mean, a lucky, well, lucky or unlucky, it's always 
you know, in certainly when I started and when Trevor and I started bouncing off each other, you know, I, I was definitely in the weeds and knew everything. You know, I can tell you about common media and mm-hmm. Germany. I can tell you about Plantanica and Gambelli and Plantanica. And of course, the Inns case in Germany, which always is amusing for me. Um, but the, these days, I've, you know, I've, I, I've learned I'm not clever enough, so I surround myself by more clever people, more intelligent people who work harder than I do. Tip from the top there. Surround yourself with smart people who work hard. Um, so they're in the weeds. Um, so I'm I'm not I, I know what mortar up to at a very high level, but okay. I'm not in, I'm not in the weeds of it. But certainly I know the the winds of change and a lot of regulators, whether it's mortar or Curacao, are taking a a slightly different approach to regulation, which. Um, some would say is is more than welcome and and potentially should have happened a while ago. Okay, okay. I'll I'll get back to to the subject of Malta after we carry on going through your career. But you were at Sporting, you were at Sporting Bet. Then I believe there were some changes at Sporting Bet. Yeah, yeah. Kenny, yeah, yeah I mean, Kenny, Kenny, Kenny took over Sporting Bet and made me redundant. Cheers, Kenny. Um, I think he'll be phoning me from maintaining shortly though, so it's all good. Um, you know, so basically I I did some consulting on the side. I was between jobs five months, um, <clears throat> which was great fun. Again, great timing because it was summer, so it's fantastic. Um, and I was where did I it was Steve Schreier's fault. Um, many of you again remember Steve Schreier, he used to be in the industry of head of sales at Playtech. I sat next to him at um WGES in Barcelona. I, I was about to say this all went down at WGES because yeah, I had a front, I had a front row seat to see it all happen. Oh, I was used to sit at the back so I could sneak out without anyone noticing. Um, but I sat next to Steve Schreier and he asked me what I was up to. So, of course, I I, I picked myself up a little until I consulting, got some gigs, you know, working for myself. Um, and he said, Oh. Playtex looking for a compliance officer. I'm like, do you, do you found someone six months ago? It's not working out. How do you fancy the gig? I said, you know, always interested to talk. So yeah. I my CV over, you know, I, and then David McLeish, again, many of people know and love David quite rightly. He, he literally phoned me that evening. I think it was all the following evening. Um, David, confession time. I was drunk in a bar. So when you asked me to meet you at seven thirty the next morning, I lied and said I had a meeting already. I didn't. I was in bed with a hangover. Sorry about that, David. Anyway, we we met the following week in um, Camden, and the rest, as they say, is history. And that was October twenty thirteen. I, in fact, I know it was October twenty thirteen because it was EIG. Okay. Back in. Back in Barcelona, Barcelona, again. I believe. EIG Back in the days, um, you, you have a and, bit of a connection with Barcelona. And I, uh, amusingly, I was moderating a panel. I was out there on my own dollar, so I, I promised a moderator panel for uh, someone out there. Um, so I, I told Playtech, I said, "Look, I'll be at EIG anyway. You just pay my expenses, and life will go on, and I, that'll be my first day at work." Okay. And I sat on a panel with Francesca Rodano, again known and loved to all of us. Um, and who you actually recruited then? Well, yeah, Moore recruited him after the event. And ironically, sorry, Francesco, he now works for me under the Playtech Protect banner. But as an Italian regulator back then, he sort of had a right pop at suppliers supporting operators in the legal markets on the day. I remember that. I remember then Francesco. I I, I sat there and he was like, straight in the chops. He had the. 
he had the balls to to then write to some of the actual IP holders like Marvel. Um, I'm trying to forget yeah, some no, of the others, but he wrote to them if, if I'm not mistaken. Because I, I remember, yeah, being at ICE when I was at Sporting Bet, I was again on another panel and someone asked me and said, look, how would, if you're in charge or you were a regulator, how would you stop illegal operators? And I, you know, four things. You you start with the IP, but that's noise, isn't it? You know, that's takes, an operator takes 36 seconds to change an IP. Then, then you follow the money. Okay. Again, that's limited. And then you go for the suppliers. Yeah, and you and go to the suppliers, that, and then you go and you, then you go after who is actually giving content to the suppliers, which would yeah, be... no, it's uh, so you well two sorts of suppliers, aren't there? There's the actual software suppliers, and then there's the associated businesses such as marketing affiliates, yada yada yada. Now, if you combine all four of those in a robust manner, then you've got a fighting chance of restricting illegal operators. And but you... I mean, Francesco played that back on day one when I took over his. I've, my title wasn't as grand then, but it was still head of compliance for Playtech. Um, and he did it publicly and said, "Why don't you know? Why don't supply uh, software suppliers such as Playtech stop supplying illegal operators?" Anyway, long story short, I did. So we're friends now. Yes. Well, I, I I remember that was. But when you then look at at the, the numbers in Italy and you look at at the actual channeling rate, which is pretty high in Italy. And then ah, it's pretty high. I mean, it's well above the 80, 85 percent. And then you compare it with some of these other jurisdictions who have opened up and who haven't done the same thing. You get to see the difference between how regulators, then being a pragmatic regulator, gives you certain results as opposed to yeah, no, I mean, take a hard line exactly. approach and don't really get anywhere. Unfortunately, I think you're right there. It's the it's the word pragmatism, isn't it? It's it's. And not learning from each other. I don't know your opinion. Well, I can guess it. it's probably we 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 generally think alike. You know, learn from others. Don't yes. take an arrogant approach. La- last uh, week, actually, last week, Ian, I had Juan Espinosa. Yeah. So yes, and that's the way he spoke. And look at the span. I mean, Spain was one of the few countries which actually lowered its taxation rate. Yeah, and I, I mean, Spain was a cracker. I mean, that was where I cut my teeth. To be honest, on compliance and regulation because that was when i i got the gig into with sporting bet to look at regulation and we had spain denmark greece didn't we all at the same time and mm-hmm. both spain and denmark were going to go live on first of january or midnight first of jan 2011 i think it was off the top of my head denmark went live then spain delayed by six months but only made the decision on like the 28th of december which was a nightmare for the industry um but, you know, and that was because the Spanish regulator, Juan Carlos Alfonso, wasn't it, back in the day? Mm-hmm. And he was he was pretty apolitical and he really drove it through. Um, and he was a pragmatist and he wanted to get it done. He wasn't a political animal, which no. is telling. And listen, when you don't have, when you have regulators who are actually non-political animals, you actually get some very, very good results. I mean, you also mentioned the Danish market. The Danish market has some pretty solid numbers. So remember, Bergen did, did quite a strong job over there in the opening of the market, and she promoted yeah, that market really heavily. I, I, I mean, we always quote the, the Danish model as a strong model, don't we? Because, you yes, know, it, it's done in a very pragmatic manner. Mm-hmm. They, they enforce it, but they enforce it behind closed doors, although they've been a bit more vocal more recently. 
No, um, you know, and, and they haven't interfered too much, have they? They mm-hmm. they restricted the amount of licenses. I think they originally awarded was it fifty five, fifty seven on it day wasn't, one. It wasn't well, they. It wasn't like some other jurisdictions which can't. Yeah, I mean, even the UK, you know, you've got over three hundred or two hundred fifty, three hundred online licensed mm-hmm. operators. Now, if you look at the marketplace and look at the tier ones and the tier twos, there, you know. A hundred is about the right number, isn't it? Give or take for a European marketplace of grown-up operators, shall we say? So, you know, as soon as anyone starts dishing out a thousand licenses or five hundred licenses, you've got to question the veracity of some of the applications. Yeah, harsh, but you mentioned on. Well, I think we tend to agree on that one as well. You mentioned the UK. Um, how, when you look at the UK and the way. The market is regulated over there, without wanting to, to to cause any problems here. But sometimes, don't you see that it's a bit of shoot first and last questions later? Yeah, I mean, it's it, the the UK regulations, as they stand, are a pretty sensible bunch of regulations. The concerns that have happened over. More recently, less so when Jenny was in charge, Jenny Williams was in charge, and you could argue that she was a bit soft on the industry, good, quite happily. And then, uh, was it Sarah Gardner came in and made it more consumer-focused because that was her background and intent, which is nothing wrong with that. But then it, it almost became almost a mission to really clamp down. It felt, I mean, the perception, it felt like people are out to get the industry work rather than work hand in hand. And another regulator, I've been, like you, I've been through numerous audits, too many to mention. And um, one auditor from another regulator said, look, our job as a regulator is when you, when the analogy they use is when you park your car and the wheels, you're in the parking space, but your wheels on the yellow line, we'll tell you and give an opportunity for you to move your car so the wheels off the yellow line and 100% in the parking space. Yeah. Other other regulators will see your wheel on the yellow line and immediately slap a parking mm-hmm. ticket on you. Um, and the UK is a tricky one because obviously it's a saturated market. There are lots of licensees there. It's a key market for many operators. And you've got a regulator that takes a very, has taken, I think the winds of change are coming yeah. or have come. But certainly historically, took in a very aggressive approach to enforcement. And a lot of the cases we still hear about are historic. Yeah. I.e. the incident happened in 2017, 2018. Pre-2021. Pre oh, for sure. For sure. Very much so. So whilst, you know, there some of the positions are indefensible and you hear about them and you think to yourself, honestly, they did that? And it's absolutely <laughs> mad. Um, others... Uh, well, actually, that happened four years ago. The the emphasis coming both from the regulator and the industry was slightly different. Um, and the industry has moved on a huge, huge amount, particularly in the UK, in it, well, globally, in its responsibility to the consumers and the focus on responsible gambling and putting the consumer in their safety first. But then we still sort of get beaten up mm-hmm. pre-2021. And particularly the UK, some the it's outcomes based, and you know interpretation is key. 
do you think do you think that that the changes which which well we've been hearing about these changes for quite some time now but will these changes result in a in a different form of regulation or a different form or different manner in which how in which the uk will regulate the market at least we're already seeing some of that what, yeah what I, i hope so but there's still a dichotomy because on one hand you've got was it the 2020 guidance on on, on rg or interactions mm -hmm. and you've got andrew Rhodes saying well actually we never told you to do affordability checks or to check bank statements that was never in the guidance um and yet you've got numerous members of the industry who know very well that they were called to account or challenged by the ukgc about affordability and how they prove it and where the statement i've been on interaction you know where there's a there's a phone call about how we measure interactions and the, you know they please show me your top 20 customers and i i remember one clearly you know they had a they had a huge win right prove they had a huge win where did their money come from show me their bank statements how can i afford it i want to see bank statements i want to p60 i want to see that winning scratch card they claim to have had that's slightly different from what they're saying they asked for and what they didn't so either someone's someone's either being the information is not going to the higher echelons of the ukgc or they're rowing back very quickly um will going forward will the white paper affect that i, I think it's more to do with leadership in the ukgc than in what um, sense than you report. mean by, by leadership in the ukgc well again it's it's how you in it's what you tell your enforcement teams or your compliance teams on the ground so if i'm a regulator and the regulations have some interpretation as all do because they find me a regulation without in some level of interpretation um it's how 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 you interpret it and how you enforce it and do you take an aggressive approach or do you take a more collegiate approach and do you give the benefit of doubt to the operators and say well actually you know There are certain concerns of this account in 2017, but we can see since 2017 you've taken these measures. Boom, boom, boom! Absolutely. So look, we're not we're not going to start an investigation dating back to 2017 on something around source of funds, although they call it AML, but it's source of funds, isn't it? Um, because it, it's not in the interest of the regulator, it's not in the interest of the operator. Because you move forward, your whole staff have changed, the ownership have changed. For example. Why go back to 2017 and open a can of worms when you can clearly see there have been significant step changes? And I'm not saying if it, there's a horrific incident. I'm not saying if there was a fraud committed in 2017. However, if, for example, you allowed someone who had large winnings to um, redeposit those winnings and you didn't do a secondary source of funds check to the level of detail, or you had an interaction but it wasn't branded a RG interaction, you know, Yeah. When, when, when do you let it go or when do you go at it? Back in 2017, for that reason. Exactly. Pragmatism and collaboration. We hear a lot about regulators collaborating, but do they? Um, yes, they go to graph and have a chat to each other and they, they make grand statements about sharing information globally. But ultimately, the regulators, I believe, a lot of them should work a lot more collaboratively with the industry. Um, and it doesn't always happen. Some do, some don't. But 
and as I've always said it, you've been in the room, I've said it, is trust the industry. Yes, it's it's easy to go, the industry is awful. The industry's taking advantage of the consumers, the advertising is awful, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, life has moved on. Trust. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you stand there with your arms folded going, I'm not going to trust you, you don't expect the other person to reciprocate either, do you? Mm-hmm. The key word is balance. How do you maintain a balance between a healthy balance, a constructive balance? And within that balance, you can always have challenge. Again, I've known you for many years. We've always, you know, we, we are different characters. I'm a cheeky bugger and you know it. And I always take the Michael out of you and you respond robustly. But neither of us take it personally. We know it's it's to and fro. It's it's either banter or it's or even vigorous or aggressive disagreement with each other mm. over certain points but that's fine you yes. can be you can still be friends you can agree to differ or you can agree to respect the other person's opinion and we'll we've always found the middle ground between us you know we've never come to blows still time and, and how but, we've never how, how but how important is it in now in the in the operations for a regulator to keep a balance where it does not become overbearing on its licensees and makes its licensees low-hanging fruit, unlike that, opening the door to the black market, well, the, the, the yeah. door is always open, the black market will always be there, unfortunately. Yeah, but, of course, of course. But if you don't maintain that balance, the door is just going to open more and more and more. How much... How much are how much of a how much damage can that cause? Oh, huge! I mean, it's very easy to see. It's it's. I, I guess, and <coughs> if we go back to first principles, the market is regulated for a reason. So, it, gambling is a legitimate regulated activity that the residents, the domiciles of that country, can take part in. That's the start point, isn't it? So, anyone who is licensed by the regulator has has a should have a sort of a natural benefit of the doubt that they're carrying out a legitimate industry in a legitimate manner. Um, now, if you start doing a compliance review with the thought in your mind that actually a reg, uh, operator is doing something wrong in the first instance, you know, it's how you approach it. If you approach it that the industry is bad, and taking advantage of vulnerable people and that is your thinking your start point and as we've seen and is quite common we always talk about the prevalence rates and the 0. 0.7 0. 0.4 0. 0.2 whatever the day of the week it is for prevalence studies that the there people are really badly harmed but no one ever starts with a start point that 99.1 or even roll it down 98 percent of the gambling population enjoy it it's healthy it's stress relief it's fun it gives them some sort of enjoyment in their life that's not the start point ever is it the start point is always there's harm and it works back from there so if i was a regulator first thing i do is one fully understand the industry and engage with them i'd spend time with them i'd learn their business i'd make sure i fully understood it i put myself and i do this the reverse when we're dealing with regulators and dealing with even licensees as a B2B, I tell my team, put yourself in their shoes. You know, what what's going to go wrong? What what would happen if you're the regulator? What are you looking for? What concerns you? And you flip it on its head. 
if I'm a regulator, I'd flip it on the other side of the head. So I'm going to investigate or, sorry, do a compliance evaluation of Trevor's team, Trev Bet, you know, you know, let's look at 98% of the gambling population in Trevbet are probably mm-hmm. legitimate gamblers. I know the industry, so I know Trevbet works with high net worth individuals predominantly. So you're going to have 80 to 90% of your population are going to be high rollers, and then you're going to have regular gamblers. Mm-hmm. So that's how I start my thinking when I go through the door of Trevbet. I don't think, well, actually, everyone who gambles with Trevbet is being taken advantage of. They can't afford to gamble properly. They're on their uppers because they spent all their money gambling, and they're on the verge of, you know, destitution. So it, it's, it's the way you think, and it's understanding the industry. And the converse is, is the industry is understanding the regulator has got a job to do. They don't always make popular decisions. They are an instrument of government and default instrument of politics as a result thereof. Their hands are tight to a certain extent. Um, so let's let's meet in the middle, you know, and yes, we'll agree to disagree and we can have vigorous debates about, you know, 3.4.1 of the LCCP and the interpretation thereof, but do it in a sensible manner. And when the industry, rather than trying to take advantage of loopholes, for example, perhaps points them out and says, look, okay, you know, there's a balance, a balance to be struck. Okay. We have just a few minutes left. There's a reason I'm not a regulator as well. (laughs) We have a few minutes left. And you spoke about team, teamwork, working together. I know in your background, you've worked a lot on a team level. How important to you is working as a team? And how do you keep that team spirit, especially as you get more C's behind, well, in front of your name, and you get more people who you're responsible yeah. there's a there's a word we're going to see many people describe me using um it, it it's an interesting one isn't it Te- yes teamwork is huge no one can do everything by themselves it's impossible we know that um and i think as you as you grow as an individual and you get more senior you've got to realize that you can't do it and many of us miss that many of us miss getting our hands dirty and being in the trenches and you know, knowing the absolute detail, and it's difficult to leave it behind. Um, but as I said at the beginning, the key thing for me is one, building a good team, mm-hmm. intelligent, hardworking people, um, but again, make it a fun environment, as fun as you can make it, and learn to delegate. Trust those below you. Don't hang on. Don't think you know best. Don't be arrogant. You know, there's a reason we pay salaries to high-performing, intelligent individuals, not to override them, not to tell them how to do their job, but to enable them and give them the boundaries and the knowledge and the the tools to utilise their intelligence, their hard work to the best of their abilities. That's That's sort of my starting point. Now, how do you keep a team fresh and working well together? That Oh, that's tough. I think you've got to recognise that realistically there are, Teams, all teams have a life cycle. Everyone is, everyone can leave a business mm-hmm. and, you know, everyone after a while gets tired of their role they're in and the work they're doing to an extent. And, you know, I've, I've had it in Playtech. We started with, uh, when I joined a, a predominantly Israeli team that morphed into, through circumstance and recruitment to a London team where we had a very high performing team. Now I've stepped away from my new role. I've stepped away from it. More, I still hold the title, but the day-to-day operations I delegate down. 
And we've had a, a huge change. You know, people have been moved onwards and upwards. And I think recognising that people will move, it's not an insult if they decide mm. to quit. It's, it's a, I regard it as a feather in my cap that if I look back and see my team members, you know, I'm not going to embarrass people by mentioning their names directly. But probably all of them have gone on to be head of, heads of, you know, uh, heads of Betson. They've gone to Flutter. They've got to Entain. Um, they almost, to a person, have gone to a, a very, not a very, very senior position, but why not? but a very senior position, a head of to run a compliance team in their own right. To me, that's the biggest pat on the head. You know, it's it, one, we do a good job in Playtech, no doubts. And, you know, I, I'm i I'm happy to go toe-to-toe with my team or the compliance team, so we're probably one of the best in the industry. Um, you, we can argue, you know, if some butts around the houses, but we're up there, 100%. But... I'm even more proud of the fact that I look at the guys and girls in equal measure, in fact, more lasses, I think, um, they've gone on all to be heads off. You know, you mm-hmm. see them in the industry, in senior positions, you know, see them on panels, you know, leaving me behind. Fair play. That's brilliant. You know, and if you do that and you feel it, people know. There's a common word now. People say authentic. You've got to be authentic on TikTok or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you are genuine and people know that you're looking after your team and you're enabling them and you don't have to be nice it's not about being nice and this is a classic i'll leave you with this one leadership is not a popularity game no it isn't. it's tough being a boss you know you can't be people's friends you can you it's nice if you become their friends absolutely mm-hmm. but you shouldn't go out currying there's a there's a line which you can't cross yeah exactly you've got to be strong you've got to be tough love but people recognize you know we're humans we recognize when someone is batting for your side and looking after you genuinely within bounds and if you do that and you put them first not yourself put them first because they're the most important people not you them people know that and respond well Ian, it was a pleasure having you. Uh, hope we meet up soon. Um, yeah, it's about time we had a beer. Yeah. Or a glass Sorry, of I'm not encouraging drinking because drinking is bad. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Thank you so much. Pleasure, Trevor. Take care.